you like haunts? Yes. Do you like immersive theater? Yes. Do you like escape rooms? Yes. What's the safe word? My haunt life. Hello and welcome to the My Haunt Life podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. And Russell, haunt season is officially here. Oh, with a vengeance. But really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. What kind of vengeance have you seen? You sound like haunt season is turning into Batman. No, no. It's just, it's definitely arrived. All right. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, we have some things before we got to the haunts. Um, and one of the first things we've done since the last podcast was to visit our friends, the new bad boys of magic at a temporary new home. Yes. And that home is the, a castle. A castle of magic. The infamous magic castle. And it's so exciting for me to see this because we saw them for the first time three fringes ago. So in those years, like we've seen them like just get better and better. And now they're doing their monthly show, Dirty Tricks at the Three Clubs. They were back this past year uh, with another fringe show. And it was all about getting to the Magic Castle. And if you're a magician, that's the dream, to perform at the Magic Castle. Mm -hmm. And they finally did it. Yeah, for for any listeners who might not be aware, the Magic Castle is the home of the Academy of Magical Arts. Uh, It's a very, uh, it's a private supper club that um, you have members, magicians have to audition to become members of the Magic Castle. And they have several rooms and performance spaces where you can go have a lovely dinner and just enjoy uh, the best magicians in the world, really high-level magicians perform throughout the evening in a rotating roster of, of performers and, and venues. It's a, it's a wonderful night out, and it's uh, an honor to be booked there. And so, yeah, I agree with you, Mike. It's really wonderful to see uh, Eric and Dan have this opportunity and also uh they they um they were order they they were in a theater which is kind of known for alternative acts or things that don't quite fit into the category of the other venues of the magic castle which i also found appropriate yeah i mean it's if you've seen their show you understand why it's not it's still traditional magic but it's not done the traditional way. Yeah. They are the bad boys of magic. The new bad boys of magic. Very much so. But anyways, uh, for their actual show at the Magic Castle, this was most of the stuff I had seen before, uh, especially since we've been going to Dirty Tricks uh, every month. But, we've been stalking these guys for a couple of years now. Uh, that's a you, uh, not a we. <laughs> and But the thing is... I've never seen them be so polished and so perfect. I, this is, I like their show that we, I, I think it was the second show uh, that they did that we were at. And it was basically perfection. Like I've never seen them so just on point, like their deliveries, the actual sleight of hand, everything they did. It was just, you could tell that they've earned being there. Oh, they completely have earned being there. And and yeah, I agree with you. I, I think 
it was one of those shows when they hit a groove, they hit a flow that just, and also we were with a great audience that was so receptive to them. And it, it just, it was wonderful. You, you know, I, I, I just, it, it's like you, you said something like, I'm so proud of them. Yeah. I felt the same way of like, these are guys that we've been following for a little while and we've talked about their, their cabaret show the variety show dirty tricks numerous times on this podcast and the the reason is because they are offering something fresh and exciting and i think they were energized by being at the castle and i think it showed in their performance and you know it's like they are always fun they are always you can't leave their show not smiling and happy you know, and yeah, they are a bit subversive too, and and I I love that aspect of them, and I I just like it, it was wonderful seeing them there. I and I agree. I think it was one of the best performances I have ever seen them give. And one of the things that's really cool for me is because we see them every month. Uh, you've seen some of these tricks work from you know, the a basic idea to an actual like routine. Yeah. To oh, this got added, then this got added, then this got added. And there was quite a few things that got added to things I had already seen that were still brand new, but work so well within the story. Yeah, I still, um, you know, they do a storytelling routine, which, you know, I have actually complimented them, you know, personally after one of their shows. I just absolutely love their storytelling routine that they do. I I think because I think there's, I have such respect for, how much is going on and it's a it's a complicated series of card tricks well that that's even like (laughs) it's hard to describe but they're using decks of cards to tell a story and there is so much going on and they make it seem so simple and easy and and you know it's not um and you know it's just yeah their their signature um move that they're known for comes off flawlessly every time and I have seen that now multiple times. I have no idea how they achieve that. And I, I just, I, you know, I, this is, a, a, we've seen this act multiple times and I am so happy that they had this opportunity. I'm so glad we got to see them at the Magic Castle and I just highly recommend anyone who has a chance to see the new Bad Boys of Magic perform, take that opportunity because they would, they deliver. You had mentioned that we were with a good crowd, and I want to just talk about that really quick because when you're at the Magic Castle, you just assume everybody in there has seen everything, nothing can surprise them. Like, you know, they're like they're either a magician in the crowd or they're friends or they've been to a ton of magic shows. But one guy that got pulled up on stage, <laughs> and you know who I'm talking oh, yeah. about, they they borrowed a, a $20 bill from him or a, I think it was a 20 and how he got that bill back. It was childlike amazement. And this is an older dude like, you know, and you have to dress up at, when you go to the castle. So he was in a suit. So when you would look at him and be like, Oh, nothing would probably surprise this guy. And just the look on his face when he realized that his bill, he got his bill back it was it made the night that much better oh yeah and i i think you hit it childlike amazement and and the fact that they they were able to deliver that you know it's yeah it it's just it was a wonderful moment and we we talked about their monthly show dirty tricks uh and this past month they were performing at the castle so they weren't at 
their own show. They were um, literally performing at another venue during their own show. It was like they almost could have been two places at once if they were real magicians. Oh, really? <laughs> Time traveling magicians. Are we talking about the prestige? Come on. <laughs> um, but that did not take away from Dirty Tricks. Uh, we went to Dirty Tricks, even though it was without the new Bad Boys of Magic. Uh, it was guest hosted by Nick Paul, who we've talked about on the podcast before. We saw uh, his friend's show a couple years ago, and he did some of the things from that show and some new things. And I will say that the spirit of the bad boys was there. Oh, like, absolutely. Even though they weren't there, I think everybody, <laughs> all the performers were still just kind of, you know, whatever, like this yeah. is, this is what it is. This is who we are. And it, it was great. Um, that's not to say that we don't ever want to see them again because they do need to come back next month, but um, they were definitely missed, but it didn't affect the show at all. There's um, comparing the two venues because, you know, we saw them in the Magic Castle and then literally a few days later went to um, um, a, a club called the Three Clubs uh, to see Dirty Tricks. The vibe of Dirty Tricks is much more of a looser, slightly raunchier tone. And it, yeah, it just, it, it's a different feeling sort of evening. And I, and I think that's one of the reasons it's so much fun is you feel that the performers can go anywhere at any moment. They have the permission in three clubs to just let loose and have a great time. And I've seen um, some great, it's like I've seen some great ad-libbed moments, you know, reacting to the festive drinking crowd <laughs> at three clubs, which have, have brought some wonderful, wonderful moments Um uh, from the acts because they have that permission and the freedom there i think um which just it lends itself to a really fun evening i guess is where i'm trying to go with that well and the talent is incredible oh, like, the lineup month amazing. after month like um i mean the close-up the pre-show close-up guy steven himmel wh ha what <laughs> how how we we actually talked about that afterwards because I, I i told you i said that it's like i was literally less than two feet away from his like what he was doing and i i think i might know conceivably what was going on that man has moves his he, he, like he just the, the the what he was doing with cards was stunning mm -hmm. and it was mesmerizing and i was i had so much fun and i i want to see that guy I want to see the full act. Yeah. Like, I want him back at Dirty Tricks. I want him to come back. I want him to have a full set. Like, he was so entertaining and so good. But it was just, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Because he was closer to us than I am to you right now. Yeah. And he was making cards change in front of our eyes. Like, yeah. and this isn't the typical, like, oh, blah, 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 sleight of hand. I mean, obviously, it's sleight of hand somehow. But, like, it's... It, it it's not what you're thinking. It basically changed in front of us, like right in front of our eyes. Yeah, it's hard to describe a magic trick uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on an audio recording, but it, it seriously, it was, it, it was. Uh, oh my god, I'm gonna say it. It was magical to behold. <laughs> Don't snort at me. Oh, wow. <laughs> Don't snort at me. <laughs> anyway, I, I just, I absolutely loved him, and I, I 
sincerely want to see that guy's full act you know because he was um he was sort of like a pre-show warm-up and he was going around table to table which i love about dirty tricks Mm -hmm. because it's not you're not just watching someone on stage you literally have performers beforehand uh like an hour before the show they open the door and you have close-up magicians come around and and they they do their best to hit everyone in the club uh and they do their best to hit every table and he was amazing. Which is why you need to get there early. Yes. Don't be L.A. and get there late. <laughs> like, oh, the show starts at 8. I'll get there at 9.30. Like, come early. Yeah, it's it was so worth it. Uh, he was awesome. Uh, who else was on the roster that night? For me, something that I was really excited about uh, was Justin Willman. Because I had just been watching Magic for Humans. From Netflix. On yeah. Netflix, yeah. And uh, there were a couple... And it's very funny. Somebody in the crowd... Uh, I know I heard making a comment about, oh, that's the guy with the marshmallows. <laughs> because I don't know if you've seen that episode, but uh, he, he does a wonderful routine on Magic for Humans, now streaming on Netflix, uh, where he interacts with kids and marshmallows. And it is so fun. You're, you, you know, you're, you just made the phrase, you, you uh, use the phrase childlike amazement. Literally, he's doing magic in front of children on the show and they are absolutely astounded. It's like when I do magic for my dogs. <laughs> Cause they're the only ones that will be surprised by it. Cause I'm so bad. Um, but yeah, somebody, I, I heard someone in the crowd talking about that sequence cause it's so entertaining and I was so happy to see him and, and he rocked like he, he did one effect in particular that was just, you know, jaw dropping. And also he, he had, and again, I I think because of the venue, he, he had a lot of fun. Uh, he was preparing for a performance on the Ellen talk show. And so his whole act was sort of a, I'm going to show you what I'm going to do on Ellen. And yet he completely personalized it for this show. So it's like, I was really excited to see him perform live because I never had the chance. And I had been watching him on the Netflix series just wonderful and you know completely charming and wowed the crowd uh and it's and it and it's also one of those times when uh one of the tricks that he did i have actually seen variations of before and yet that ending completely took me by surprise yeah that like i yeah i don't know how that happens yeah uh so and also uh on the show uh, is someone else that uh you and i are familiar with already well no we're not Oh, well, okay. (laughs) You explain that. (laughs) Um, Jimmy H was also on the agenda that night, and this is the first time I've seen him. I don't know if you've seen him um, before. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen him in this persona. Would that be the way to put that? You're kind of ruining it. Oh, am I? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, that's like saying like, oh, I've hung out with Clark Kent, but not his (laughs) other persona. (laughs) So I, I guess what you're getting at is we perhaps have seen Jimmy H performing uh, in other venues in a slightly more decomposing state. It's possible. Maybe <laughs> we saw him at Fringe a couple years ago. Maybe we saw him at Queen Mary a couple years ago. Maybe we saw him at Midsummer Scream. Maybe we will see him coming up soon at Sinister Point. It's possible, but... But that's not Jimmy H. That that's yeah, a, that's, that's a different person. It's someone he knows. Yeah, it's, it's it's someone he might inhabit every now and then. But he was great. And again, uh, going back to the crowd part, when he finished his his routine, 
which is a great routine because basically something comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And he had someone else do it. And the look on her face is priceless. Yeah. And then the also we had Pam Stevens and she was not a magician, but a puppeteer. And <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> you have your devious grin. <laughs> no, it was it was fun because and that's the great thing about Dirty Tricks. Like we say this every time we talk about Dirty Tricks, but the variety of acts they have is so good um, because you'll you'll see a lot of magicians, of course. But we saw ventriloquists. We saw jugglers. We've seen singer songwriters. And now we have a puppeteer to add to that list. Yeah. And, who... and her routine, I at first I thought it was like, how does this fit? And it completely fit the tone of the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was the crowd loved it. And I will say her act provided for me what I thought was the single biggest laugh of the night. Because it was so surprising. Which part? Uh, she sort of, how do I describe this in polite company? <laughs> oh, wait, I'm with you. Um, she... Let's just say she lost control to her puppets. Oh, yeah. Which I thought was a hysterical surprise because it was very playful. And then it was really playful. <laughs> <laughs> and I just I just I, I was dying laughing. I thought it was so funny that, that the, the puppets took control of her entire act there for for a couple of moments. Uh, and yeah, it was just, and again, like you said, it, like we have seen. You know, one of my favorite acts I've ever seen there was a juggler, not a straight magician at all. And so, yeah, it, it's like this is a this is such a good thing for L.A. to have because it's a loose format. It's an open format. They can do anything they want. It's fun. It's irreverent. It's it, it's just a good evening. And it's such a bargain that you could, the tickets are very affordable. It, it, it's like the, I, it was a good time. Yeah, they're five bucks if you follow them on Instagram. They always give codes out. Yeah, definitely one of the best bargains in town for your entertainment dollar. Uh, it's an hour-long show. Get there early, and you'll see a close-up magician beforehand. Uh, the club is very small, so you should buy tickets in advance. They have sold it out. It sold out every, every multiple, month. Yeah, it has. Yeah. Uh, it, it, multiple, multiple times it has sold out. Uh, I just highly recommend this to anyone who enjoys magic. Yeah, and for more information on Dirty Tricks and the new Bad Boys of Magic, you can go to their website at badboysmagic.com, on Facebook, New Bad Boys of Magic, and Instagram, Bad Boys Magic. And Russell, you did something that I haven't done. Well, I mean, that's a lot of things, <laughs> but... Uh, and you've done so many things I haven't done, Mike. <laughs> I should not tell you stories sometimes. <laughs> Um, but you went to the new show by the Shine On Collective. Yes, I did. And um, this was called, and wait, let me pull this out so I don't don't say it incorrectly. Um, they're <laughs> doing a series. pull it out. Would you stop it? <laughs> uh, they're doing a series, which actually uh, you did see a little preview uh, performance of it at Midsummer Scream. They're doing a series called Echoes in the Dark. Uh, Shine On Collective is a, a um, group that we have talked about before on this podcast. Um, uh, led by Anna Mav Ramadi, and uh, this was directed by Marley Delia. And uh, the series is called Echoes in the Dark, and what I attended was called Echoes in the Dark, Echo One, Inside My Soul, because it seems like this is going to be a serialized piece by them, and they're going to have multiple chapters. 
it is I, I I was kind of wondering about whether or not to say exactly what it's based on and I and I really don't think it's a spoiler because as soon as you get into the mythology of this you will immediately recognize it if you connect a couple of dots and that it is it is riffing on the Frankenstein mythology and this show you uh were given a location and you there is talk of them remounting this show uh later this year actually so i'm going to be very cagey about any details but you go you meet a character you get a little bit of background information and then you enter a room and you interact with someone that you have been talked to about and it becomes a very intimate very touching scene uh, that is completely drenched in the feeling of loss. Uh, and if you know the Frankenstein mythology, the Frankenstein mythology, uh, if you think about the novel, there is a lot going on in that novel about stuff being taken away from you uh, because you know the revenge of the creature is what he's going to do to destroy victor's life because of what victor has done to him and there's also a quest element to the original frankenstein novel uh people seem to always forget about the traveling in that novel and if you remember mike they travel north for for chapters upon chapters upon chapters and this show touched on a lot of that aspect of it of searching of hiding of protecting what you're afraid of losing and of loss itself uh, it is uh, wonderfully, wonderfully performed. Uh, the main person uh, is Carly Blair, who you interact the most with. And Larry Duncan also makes a, an appearance at the beginning. Uh, he, and he does a really nice job of setting the mood with absolutely no dialogue whatsoever. And I will say this. It's a, it, it was like an appetizer for me. It, it, was like, it was just literally an introduction to this world, an introduction to the feeling, I think, of what they're trying to do. Um, and I immediately recognized a bunch of the references to uh, the story that we're familiar with, and yet it also has uh, some original takes on it. Uh, it's mildly interactive. There was a little bit of uh, physical touching between uh, the patron and the cast. Uh, nothing aggressive. And uh, if you're interested in this story, if you're interested in this mythology, this is a really nice piece. I want them to expand on it. The show was very, very short. And it, I, I want to I compliment, shine on a couple of things real quick. We talked in the last podcast about behavior of patrons. Because uh, we've encountered a couple of patrons who just didn't understand the rules or tried to world break or something like that. We, and we touched upon that briefly in the last podcast. Something that I really love about Shine On, uh, Mike, they are so good at what what is now, I guess, most people call it the onboarding process of how you get the patron on board. How you get them to understand what is expected of them and what the rules for this world are. Shine On is so good, and they've done this for multiple shows now, where they reach out in advance and say, look, this is what you're going to be doing. You're going to be, and I'm, not, and I'm going to list a couple of these, and they're not spoilers. They will not ruin anything for the show. You're going to be wearing headphones. Okay, this is how you interact with the headphones. This is what's going to happen. 
So they give you the rules and they give you that, okay, there's a technical aspect of the show and this is how you deal with the technical aspect. So in the middle of the show, I knew exactly what was expected of me when that portion came up. They're also very good about, you will come here, you will arrive here, you will do this when you arrive, you will encounter this. If you need help, there's a person available. This is how you find them. Like they laid all of that out. And they also said, look, the show deals with these themes. And they listed a couple of adult themes that are touched on in the show. If these are trigger points for you, let us know. Reach out to us. They are so good, Mike, about setting the patron up where when you arrive, there's no concern. There's no confusion. Now, I know a couple people, and I know you are a type of person who you don't want to know anything going in. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that much information would bother you or not. I know you didn't have a chance to go down partially because of the location to this show. No, I but I understand it, and I know that's that's for the majority, not the minority. Uh, and I'm somewhere in between. I really am. It's like, you know, they gave me more information than was necessary. But if I had never done an immersive piece, if I had never done anything like this before, I bet all of that information would be more than welcome. Of course. And I think, to be totally honest, I think the reason is the patron knows exactly what's expected of them, even if they don't know what's going on. And I think part of the reason is good is I wound up in a scene where it was just me and an actress by herself, just the two of us. I, you know, knew exactly what was expected of me. I had the freedom to improv a little bit because it was also, uh, Shinan quite often does um, physical movement, interpretive physical movement. I was able to interact with her silently, no dialogue, but she was doing something physical and I decided like, oh, okay, well, I'm either going to mimic her or I'm going to react to what she's doing. And I had that play space. They created this space where I was able to like, oh, well, let me try this and see how she reacts. Let me try that and see how she reacts. But because I'd been so well set up, I knew what my parameters were. And I think that protects their cast and crew. And I think it it helps the patron immensely. So I really want to compliment Shine on doing that because I know in the immersive community, this is an ongoing conversation of how do you educate the audiences to what you expect to them? And it's more important now than ever, because as this medium keeps growing and it is growing, it's, it's getting mainstream success. I mean, um, today I saw something being posted on Facebook where creep is on people magazine. Oh, wow. So, People are going to find this and they're not going to understand from these types of videos and interviews and stuff. So it's really important that when they go and they have to realize that each show is not the same. So it's really important for creators to do this. Yeah, that is that's the key point. You just you just said the most important thing. I think every show is not the same. And actually, I did find my in Shinon's show at one point, I really wanted to say something. And it took me a moment of like, oh, wait, uh, I, 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 do I have the leeway of engaging in that way? So uh, they're, they're really good about it. Uh, I have talked to a couple of people that uh, the location for this particular Shinon show was very far. It was an hour drive from me. Oh, wow. Uh, which granted was rush hour traffic on a weeknight in the LA area, but it was an hour drive. It was much farther south than than I usually go for stuff uh, on weeknights, just because of time. 
and the show itself was less than half an hour. So the other thing that I'm going to, I just want to touch on is I also think it's really important for creators to be very upfront about, okay, it's this area that the show takes place in because a big trend right now is you will know the location 24 hours before your showtime. Right now, that's been years. <laughs> yeah, but the key thing is, is like, okay, wait a minute, it's haunt season. I'm trying to do two things in one night. I need to know what area you're in. And Shinon gave us the area and they gave us a specific location closer, but we knew approximately where it was. Uh, but the other thing is, is that's an hour long drive and the show was definitely under 30 minutes. It was probably closer to 20. So that's a factor in ticket price and my planning is how long is the show? And I think some people would go, well, is it worth an hour long drive to see a 15 or 20 minute piece. And I think creators need to be very aware of keeping their patrons informed of this is what you're getting into. This is what we're offering. Because I know a couple people mentioned to me after the second night of um, uh, this show that they were surprised at how short it was. I, you know, it just, it's one of those things that I just, Oh, that's an interesting concern. And you're right for scheduling reasons that would be really helpful to know fairly specifically. Well, wasn't runtime like mentioned when you buy the ticket? I believe their runtime was actually mentioned as an approximately 30 minute experience. Oh, okay. So I believe the show turned out a little bit shorter. Um, but it just, it, it was, it was a conversation I had with a couple patrons who went the night after I did. Uh, and we talked about the show afterwards. And I just think it's one of those things that creators need to keep us informed personally of length of show and things like that for scheduling reasons, especially during haunt season. Like, but devil's advocate, they, if they said it's a 30 minute show, it's a little bit shorter. I mean, that's you're, if you're budgeting 30 minutes and you come out ahead, that's what's the deal. Yeah. But I think some people would go like, okay, wait, I have to drive over an hour for a 30 minute show. Is the, price point worth it is my time worth it is my schedule worth it and i think then you have to make the the choice based on the company and the subject matter and you know for me it was worth it it worked out well i really enjoyed the piece um so but it just it's one of those things that the conversation was brought to me afterwards uh and i just thought oh that's that's interesting and you know i'm always one especially during haunt season and i know you do the same thing i end up doing two or three things a night sometimes and you have to schedule it. You have to know approximately links and things like that. So it just, but, it was... but that's my point. If they said it's 30 minutes and it came out to be 20, you're fine because you budgeted 30 minutes. Now, if it was, they said 30 minutes and it turned out to be 45, then yeah, there's some conflicts. But if you're coming out less and just for your example, mm -hmm. you should still be fine time-wise. Right. I'm agreeing with you. You're not sounding like you are. <laughs> I'm I'm agreeing with you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah, it was just it was it was like I said, it was a conversation that came to me after the Shine On show. And I think the person was that they don't know if they would have gone knowing how short the show was going to be. They didn't know if they would devote an hour to an hour and a half in rush hour traffic to that. Um I think that was their point. But that's a personal choice. 
it was really helpful. It is really helpful when creators give you that information in advance. So, but yeah, um, really enjoyed the show. I'm curious to see where this goes. And again, like I said, I talked to a couple of patrons. Another patron had a couple of really fascinating takes on mythology that are completely opposite of what I think about the show in the story which I thought was really interesting. And the fact that Shinon has created something that people are walking away with very different ideas about what is going on and what's going to happen with these characters. I find that really interesting and fascinating. If you would like to learn more about Shinon, uh, you can check them out at shineoncollective.com on the web, the Shine On Collective on Facebook, Shine On Collective on Instagram, and check them out on Twitter at Shine On Shows. So, Russell, I always joke around with you about doing way too much um, Who, me? with certain things. Yeah, sometimes, all the time. Um, and you just got back from a trip to Mississippi. Yeah. So what better thing to do than to take another trip? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I went to Chicago. Go on. Uh, Chicago is the location of... A show called Miasma, which we spoke uh, with the creator, Justin Brink, a couple years ago after I did Miasma in uh, 2016. I went through as a patron. And we're not going to talk a lot about this show. Uh, I did not go through Miasma. Then, Russell, why did you go there? <laughs> the creator of Miasma, Justin, came out for Midsummer Scream. And we were talking at that time, and when the trip to Mississippi happened, I didn't know, uh, that was a family matter, and I didn't know exactly what my time frame was going to be, so I didn't know if I could commit to a ticket to uh, Miasma. And so I talked to Justin about it in person here at Midsummer Scream when he came out to Los Angeles, and and I just basically said, I was like, look, I can't, I don't know what my schedule is going to be and uh but i really would like to come in back at some point and do the show again because i really enjoyed uh the miasma show i did in 2016 still has the grossest moment i've ever experienced inside a haunt <laughs> and i will not divulge what that is um and it was it was fun and it had a little mystery story element uh and so what happened is uh justin contacted me uh a while later and he, because of, you know, it's like my haunt experience, like you've been a haunter in the past. I've worked for haunts and, uh, Justin kind of said, Hey, it's like, you know, you're not going through the show, but if you were planning on coming to Chicago to do the show, how would you feel about possibly working a little bit behind the scenes? And I said yes to that. And so I was actually doing some minor technical stuff in the background of Miasma this year. Uh, in the uh, for patrons that went through miasma, uh, I was in the second area where there was uh, fog and light cues and things like that, which I controlled. Uh, so I was kind of behind the scenes, and I jumped at the chance mainly because my haunt experience in the past, Mike, is been. And again, I hate to use the word traditional, but because uh, the haunts that I worked on were uh, a bit interactive in places and a little more adventurous than than. You know, they they were a little more intense than standard family-friendly haunts. Uh, but I had never worked on anything that had extreme haunt elements. And Miasma does feature those. Uh, I don't think... It, it, it's definitely a more specialized audience. You know, they're not as extreme as some of the stuff that's out there. But they definitely are 
featuring extreme elements that include some physical aggression, some things that may cause people pain. Uh, so it was really interesting for me to step behind the scenes of something like that because it's the first opportunity. And Justin knew that because of my theater and haunt experience, uh, I would be able to step right in with his team. And he's got a wonderful team that has been working together now for several years. They are top-notch professionals. They are such a well-oiled machine behind the scenes. Uh, I, I just, I, I fell in love with everybody there. Um, so that's kind of what happened is I stepped behind the scenes of that show in Chicago. So you didn't even get to test anything like as like a test patron or anything? <laughs> really? <laughs> You're going to bait me that way? I'm just asking. <laughs> you, uh, <we're, laughs> it's just a podcast. It's about conversations. I'm having a conversation <laughs> with you. I jokingly said, uh, to Justin, uh, you know, that I have a little bit of an issue with one aspect of extreme haunts that quite often comes up that involves tight spaces. And I knew that there was a sequence in miasma that would involve tight spaces. And so I jokingly said to Justin, I said, I want one thing in payment. If I'm going to be behind the scenes and working on your show, I get to go through that sequence. And so, yes, I did. Oh, cool. I did test that and it was very intimidating for me, but I did, I did make it through. And it was, it was also, it was one of those that kind of like, Oh, this is really challenging. And also he used an element uh, the the soundscape in that particular of the show was key to your experience. Hmm. And it, I think it was used in a very creative way. And I commend them on, on experimenting with that because I think it added to the intensity of the show. And Mike, another interesting aspect of that Miasma show is I love the way that they play with uh, the, they give the patron sort of a role to play like you are you are an active member of the story much more so than some other events it's not just a matter of repeat this do this say that it's not that they actually you have a little bit of freedom at least you did in in the show this year which was called integrate silence uh, a little bit of freedom to improv yourself a little bit, but you are always under control of the cast and crew, but you do have a little wiggle room as to how much you would want to participate and how much you would want to say, which is, which was kind of fun to watch. Cool. So because you're Russell, how many safety concerns did you bring up? I brought up, I think two and uh the team and justin had already dealt with both of them and they said because uh and i i should say i brought those up before i went to chicago uh, i had read the script and i said oh i have a question about this uh because i because actually he was doing something that i have a friend who was injured uh doing something very similar and uh so there was a sequence in miasma that that could have resulted in the same thing and i just said hey by the way how are you doing this and they had already solved the problem when i brought it oh, oh yeah that's a very good point this is how we're solving that um so yeah they the anything that i brought up they'd already solved cool so, so yes i am the safety nerd <laughs> That's me. So we haven't really done anything extreme in a long time. Did this doing this and seeing this give you that urge to want to do something again? Um, interesting. Uh, well, you know, it's like we've talked. I'm more about exploring myself psychologically, and that's scary. <laughs> and so I always approach those events from the theatrical side, and like, what can I learn about myself? And I certainly am interested in that. And I'm certainly interested in being challenged. So maybe that, a little you're bit. You're taking 
that that's such a like a PC answer. Like, come on, man. No, I mean, like, if like three, four years ago, if like Victim went on sale, if Blackout went on sale, we'd be the first people buying tickets. Yeah. For me personally, I'm not that person anymore. So before Miasma, which person were you? And after Miasma, same thing. Like, would you be like the first to line up? You know what I mean? Are you talking like, right now? Well, before and after. Uh, before and after this experience yeah. of, of working behind the scenes. Um, that that wow, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm more inclined to go back and explore. Uh, and look, I, I'll be honest. One of the reasons that I stepped a little bit away from the extreme stuff is, Mike. You know that I got badly injured in a haunt, uh, and that really shook me because I put my trust in someone who didn't deserve it and betrayed it. Uh, and, and and literally that creator actually did a bait and switch. I, I had been promised that there weren't extreme elements in the show and I ended up being injured. And uh, so I, I had to re- kind of reevaluate what I was doing. And I came to the conclusion that it, like, yes, this is about me exploring myself and trying to learn something about myself and and you know we've we've had this conversation i am a much tougher individual than i thought i was five years ago i've been through a lot that i know i have capacity to you know delve within myself and find strength that i didn't quite know i'd had before so i got something very positive out of doing extreme haunts and then you know i took part in the blackout experiments documentary and people People, somebody just asked me about that a couple weeks ago who'd seen it for the first time. And, you know, like you said, the person I was four or five years ago when that was going on, when that was being filmed, I'm not that same person. But, you know, I'm a little more open to it now because I think the playing field has changed a bit and I'm much more discerning about who I would give my trust to. But there have been events that have injured people. We know of a haunt that has permanently scarred people physically, leaving marks on their skin that are permanent. Uh, You know, there was an event here in Los Angeles where people were injured in the middle of a show, uh, and it was not handled very well by that show. So I I am much more cautious about exploring it, and also because it seemed like the focus was, oh, if I pull a bag over your head and hurt you, that's extreme, and I get to charge you money for that. And that's... That's so not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in the theatricality. I'm interested in the thought process behind it. But, you know, working with the Miasma team, I am a little inclined to go, maybe I can put my toe back in that pool and see what the water is like for me. But I will proceed with caution because I have been injured. And it was not handled well when it happened. And I know other people who have had that same experience of being injured and not being handled well by, and I'm thinking of two different companies right now. Uh, but to answer your question, yeah, I'm, I'm a little more inclined to see like, Hey, I, I'll give it a try. Um, I'm, I'm willing to go back and, and test the waters again because I do learn about myself by going through some of this stuff. It is self-exploration. Where do you stand? How do you feel about it? Eh, I've proved everything I needed to prove, you know, like, doing victim twice and you know like all of that and you know just it got to a point for me too where it's like i'm i'm all of 
the haunts seem to have been getting more about just hurting you. Yeah. You know, and it's like n- with only a little bit of story. And I like what I found that I really liked was a lot of story with and if getting hurt was part of the story, cool, you know, but yeah, it's just kind of like the landscape change, you know, blackout went away and people that were influenced by blackout were trying to take it to the next level. And it's like, okay, this just, it's not fun anymore, you know? And then you have to deal with like, you better suck up to, to whoever you can in order to get a ticket. And it's like, I don't, I don't do that. It's like, no, put tickets on sale for the, for everybody. Like not just the people who are like, Oh my God, I'll do anything. You're my favorite. You know, like, it's like, come on, man. Like that's what ruins the scene. The scene became that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, look around, like what's out there now? Like, I can't even name three things. I can't even name two things. Mm-hmm. You know, I can only name one, but who knows if they're even a real company because they only cater to the people that, like, suck up to them. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Um, you said, you know, the people who were inspired by Blackout were trying to take it to the next level. That's just it. Blackout didn't need to be taken to the next level. Yeah. Blackout didn't need to be more extreme than Blackout was. Well, that's what, who, yeah. that's what people didn't understand is like Blackout wasn't about physical. It was no. about mental. And that's what messes mess with people so much. And that's what had such a huge impact. And it's like Blackout, at least the, the ones I've been to, I didn't go to any of the ones in New York or Chicago, but I never got hurt in a Blackout. Like I never got pain in a Blackout. Mm-hmm. It was always just messing with you like in your emotions and your thought process and yeah, things exactly. like that. Yeah. And, the, and I think that's, what's lacking from the scene right now is trying to emotionally affect people rather than just, Oh, this is so extreme. We don't know if you can make it. Yeah. And like, it's... and blackout was never about that. Blackout was more psychological. Blackout was extremely theatrical at times. It's interesting that, that, you know, I think I'm a little more, open to it now because I've worked, I just worked with a team in Chicago, you know, miasma was extremely safe. It was extremely cautious. And I did, I did witness someone calling a safety and they had a very valid reason for doing that on a personal level, I feel. And they handled it very well. Uh, But I think I'm a little bit more open to it now than I was, you know, like a year and a half to two years ago when like, yeah, I was dealing with the fact that I had been injured and I was dealing, you know, and, and some of, you know, I, I don't know. It's all about the psychology for me. And, you know, the fact that blackout isn't doing shows the way they used to. And the creators of blackout are, you know, are having, you know, wonderful careers, creating other things for other people now, which is, which is awesome. So, you know, I hope blackout does come back and they have come back in smaller form. They've come back at film festivals and things like that. But, it was never about the physical aspect. It was always about the emotional impact for me. And uh, I think, you know, watching behind the scenes at Miasma, I think there were a couple of scenes in particular that were aimed toward emotional impact and trying to make a point. Yeah, so that was a little bit inspiring. Cool. So I might... Good answer. Yeah, if if I have the opportunity, I may try to dabble a little bit more, but uh, but also it's just like I I you you said something is like I have nothing to prove. 
I'm the same way. I have nothing to prove to anybody. I don't have to prove how tough I am. I don't have to prove that I can endure anything. You were the first person who did victim twice. Yeah. I mean, granted, it was like the same year and not spread out. Do not give me that crap. (laughs) Like the one I did, because you basically got the same show just a couple of weeks apart. Hey, wait. But whatever. (laughs) My extreme haunt cred stands untarnished. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah, it's been an interesting thought process, but um, I'm... I'm more open to some, as they say, extreme haunt elements seems to be the term that some people are using now. Uh, you know, and, and I don't mind being emotionally challenged. That That's part of the fun of this stuff. Uh, and I like, you know, I have a dark side and I like kind of poking it every now and then and seeing what comes out of the, the blackness. So that's me. But I am not going to play in that area unless i trust the creators right and i lost trust in creators for a while there fair enough and and you know we've talked about uh i i think that's i don't i I was about to say that's the danger that we're facing right now with the immersive scene but i think danger makes it a little harsh i think that's partially uh an issue with the immersive scene and the reason I'm saying this is because now advertisers are claiming that, you know, it, it, <laughs> you know, I, I recently heard a radio advertisement for a radio show claiming to be immersive. What's a radio? Yeah. <laughs> so, the, you know, the radio, they were claiming their radio show was an immersive experience. And immersive is a buzzword, and there is a rabid community trying to explore and find what immersive means and what immersive is. But if there's no discerning patron, if there's no patron willing to go, wait a minute, I'm interested in this, but that I'm not so interested in. And there's this rabid community that seems to be as soon as the word immersive appears, they're going to attack the ticket sales and go like, yes, immersive, I'm in. And when people do that, and they do that for every show, then you have people that have no idea what it is trying to make money off of it. Yes. And I think that's what happened with the Extreme Haunts. Yeah. So I I think people need to gravitate toward what interests them. Push yourself if you're interested in doing that. But also... It like just because people put a tagline of immersive on it doesn't mean it's going to have value or be worth your time and money. And that's what I'm finding is number one, I have a full-time job and career, so I can't attend every single show in the Los Angeles area that is labeled immersive. And believe me, I've missed out on some stuff that I really wish I could have attended and really wish I could have gone to time and money didn't allow it. So so I'm just trying to do my best of, okay, what interests me and what am I drawn to and focus on that? Because I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't have a fear of missing out, which I think a lot of people are operating from right now on the immersive scene is, oh my God, what if it's labeled immersive and it's awesome and I don't get the ticket on the first day? And I, I'm not going to approach it that way uh, because I will always be missing out. 
you know, the analogy in Los Angeles is cars because it's a car culture out here. I don't care how much money you spend on your car. I don't care how expensive your car is. You're going to pull up to a stoplight one day and someone's going to pull up next to you at the same stoplight with a more expensive, prettier, shinier, more recent model than you own. And I kind of feel that about the the outlook of the immersive scene. It's like, I'm not, I don't have a fear of missing out because I know that there's always going to be something else that sounds cooler or was cooler that maybe I didn't get to attend, but I'm a, I will be aware of it and I can look out for it again in the future. All right. So back to miasma. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a great experience. I, I really appreciate them inviting me to join their team for this year. And uh, I do recommend that show to people. Um, it, it's, it, it is, a, I found it a really challenging, interesting experience to go through. And I think what I saw from behind the scenes, this show was the same thing. And I do like the fact that they are striving so hard to put mystery and intrigue elements into their storylines. Um, yeah. So, and I, I think we should also mention that coming soon, I will, uh, we will be, uh, releasing an interview with the creator of Justin Brink that I was able to do literally almost on the way to the airport as I was leaving Chicago. So that is something that's coming up. Uh, and I hope you enjoy that when it hits to learn more about miasma, you can look them up on the web at miasma, That stands for a terror experience. Yes, it does. You can look them up on Facebook at miasma, ATE on Instagram. They are miasma underscore terror and on Twitter, they are Miasma A-T-E. So on the last podcast, we mentioned Speakeasy's Chapter 5 of the Kansas Collection, The Vow. Yep. And all of a sudden, Chapter 6 is here. Yeah, very quickly. Which is called The Witch, which is timely for haunt season, <laughs> uh, even though it's not what you're thinking. Um, but... This is chapter six in the Kansas collection. And I think this chapter is my favorite. Really? Yeah. And because this was, this has only been going on for two weekends on um, most likely they're going to remount it. So we are not going to get really in depth about this um, because, you know, spoilers, but yes, uh, because I feel like, speakeasies kansas collection is the breaking bad of immersive theater where <laughs> no really because there's a couple different plot lines going on there's mm -hmm. different things and in this episode or in this chapter man like so many things got revealed so many plot points like got uncovered mm -hmm. so many questions got answered and yet there's still a million more and I mean, I'm not going to say when this happens, but there was such a mic drop moment that it's just like, come on, man. Like, what, what, what is going to happen in the next chapter? And uh, the last time I got that feeling was in Breaking Bad. And <laughs> it's like everything was just so good about this. Sorry, you go now. Because I'm just going to go like, ah. uh, Okay. All right. Uh to just I I think I because in case you know we ha we do have people who listen who are not in Southern California so what the Kansas collection is is a serialized series of theater pieces that are exploring the mythology of Oz 
from a very adult standpoint and a very political standpoint of basically what happens when Dorothy leaves Oz, the Scarecrow King takes over, forms a militia, bans magic, and there's all of this political intrigue, rebel rebel uh, alliances being formed that want to you know take over and you know put the origin the the true ruler of Oz, which is Ozma theoretically queen queen Ozma. Ozma uh put her in power but who is queen Ozma really uh and you know what what are her motivations and and all of this is being explored in a sort of serialized uh series of uh of short plays and then also like the 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 last one we went to the vow was you know a full evening of theater i agree with you there were a couple of just like wow wow moments in this and you know what i thought of like like somewhere like midstream during all of this. Uh, and I just said, this is sort of like a serialized thing. The old like Republic serials that, you know, uh, I'm not old enough to have experienced them, Mike, believe mm. it or not. Okay. You always joke about my age. Uh, but that's what this felt like was like, uh, one of the old film serials that it's like all these like, da 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 those moments. Yeah. Like there was, there was a ton of them in like every sequence went, wait, wait, that's happening. And I agree with you that moment that you're referring to the mic drop moment, literally the show ended and, uh, we took, this is a very small audience, four or five people per per show. We were walking away from the show and I turned to the guy next to me. Actually it was Larry. We know Larry. I turned to Larry and I think my jaw was hanging and I said, dude, that moment. And he went like, oh, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> and he knew exactly what I was talking about. So here's something like not this is this might make your jaw drop, but I had one of the biggest emotional moments in this show. Really? Yeah. And when we talk about immersive theater and we talk mostly talk about ARGs, like especially when we talked about the tension experience, mm-hmm. we always talked about blurring the lines between reality and, and fiction and speakeasy really hasn't done that. So mm-hmm. there's really no reason to feel that way, but because we've been to their shows, because we, we speak to, to the people that play these characters, they're not characters, Russell. Um, <laughs> I, at one point I had to ask a question to someone mm. and the answer that was given to me killed me because of who gave that answer and at that moment it's like something in my head was no this this don't know it it hurt it hurt to hear because of that person because of the fondness i have of that person in real life oh interesting it totally like messed me up in that scene oh and i the, the scene that you're referring to i also had to ask a question of that same person and what I found is I didn't want to ask the question because I have such fondness for that character that he's portraying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, he's a nice guy in real life, too, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> that, that came out weird. He's a nice guy in real life. Um, but I have such fondness, and I have followed that character from the very beginning of this whole thing. And he was the character I connected with the deepest first because he provided a jaw dropping moment in the very first chapter of this for me. And I have been on that character's side ever since. And so 
somebody said, you have to, you have to confront him. You have to ask him this. And I knew that by asking this, I was asking him to expose himself to potential danger. And so I like, I can't refuse. I can't, I'm, I like, I'm being told to do this. And I was really torn. I was emotionally torn because of my emotional investment in that character. So it was like, I had something, it sounds like yours hit you harder, actually. But I really did have a moment of like, I really don't want to ask him this because I know, I, I know because of what happened at the vow, I know where this is going. Mm-hmm. And I, that's another thing that is, it just, there were so many plot twists in this. There were so many aha moments of like, oh my gosh. And I really did feel like this was, this was a serial chapter and it ended on an amazing cliffhanger moment. Yeah. Just, I, I, I as far as the emotional investment you were talking about, you're having, you, they, they turn it over to the audience for a moment and they literally say, Hey, look, you got something to say now's the time Mm -hmm. and in my group only two of us spoke and i was able to address something that happened a couple chapters ago and i and i I stepped forward and i said you know what i totally respect what's going on here and i made a decision a while back referring to that previous show like three shows ago i made that decision as like i still am wrestling with that decision and, but I was able to just kind of like put it out there and it's done in a way that there's a reason you're presenting that information. And, and uh, it, I just found that fascinating. So, um, and here's, <laughs> so now, you know, because you've been through this, what I was talking about in the wedding, that something had been revealed to, to one faction mm-hmm. that, that I knew was going to be mind blowing when other people got. But if you think about it, they have been carrying seeds of that information since probably chapter two or three. And it involves one of the characters health. Mm -hmm. And now if you look back, you know why that character has been feeling ill at times and not been able to deal with certain things during the course of the show. And I was like, that was the moment of like, Yes, finally. <laughs> finally, people realize that we're right. Go patchwork. <laughs> That's an opinion. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist. So, um, but long, yeah. Long I, live the queen. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, yeah, well. <laughs> so, uh, you're, I think you're building a castle on very, a very unstable sand. There's, this isn't a castle on the beach, Russell. <laughs> But this this got me so much more excited for the next chapters because uh-huh. I feel like crap is going to hit the fan oh, and yeah. it's just going to be accelerated through the end of this thing. Yeah. And again, listen to what we're talking about. We're talking about the emotional impact. Yes, the plot, t- plot twists were cool, but we're talking about the emotional impact. And I think that's what Speakeasy does so incredibly well is they know how to sucker punch you emotionally. And they did it a couple of times in this show, I think. So I felt so, and it's, it's funny. There's a character that I don't relate to much that's in this show. I felt so bad for her because she's going through so much pain. Yeah. And you know me, I want to, I want to <laughs> hug and fix everybody. <laughs> Can't touch the actors, Russell. <laughs> so I don't like, I was like, yeah, anyway. So yeah, there was, there was a moment where I, I there was one scene in particular. It was like, I, uh, I feel horrible. So, 
but in a good way. I will say something else. Oftentimes, especially with Speakeasy, we talk about the setting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for Johnny, it was at the uh, the mausoleum mm-hmm. and, you know, stuff like that. The setting for part of this. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's beautiful. And it was so cool yeah. to, to be there. Yeah, absolutely. So chances are this will get remounted because, like I said, it was only, I think it was only six dates that it was here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely keep an eye out uh, for this because you will probably want to see it, especially if you've if you've been following the other chapters. For more information on the Speakeasy Society and the Kansas Collection, you can find them on the web at speakeasysociety.com. On Facebook, the Speakeasy Soch, which is S-O-C. On Instagram, Speakeasy Soch. And also on Twitter, the Speakeasy Soch. So I'm not going to count Miasma because you didn't actually go through no, it. No, But we went to our first haunt of the season. Absolutely. And we went to Queen Mary's Dark Harbor, which we go to every year. And every year, it's so much fun. Yeah, and they are, they are really stressing the festive, this is a party vibe which i think has been going on for a few years but they really really amped it up this year and they've completely changed their footprint Mm -hmm. which was fascinating and i found it was much more intriguing this year because i thought it felt am i crazy or did it feel like thank you uh that it felt like there were more you felt like you were kind of wandering a carnival layout of like it wasn't all just open It, it was more pathways and alleyways and play things to it felt like you were exploring more yeah i am not verbalizing this well right now and here's the other thing too and i don't know if it's just um like a psychology thing in my mind but it felt like all the mazes were longer than last year as well. no i think you're right i think they were longer and that's something i i want to compliment them on because you're waiting in a long line especially if you do a general admission which I, i i think you almost have to do a front of the line pass yeah and they have two different versions of front of the line this year yeah which i welcome i think that's a really great idea if you're waiting that long for something you want the payoff Mm -hmm. and the payoff at queen mary is the production design the fact that you're on the queen mary for parts of the mazes and you you can't buy that production design it's like it's amazing to be in the bowels of that ship going through haunts with scare actors jumping out and scaring you it's like that's just no other amusement park theme park no other haunt in this area can offer that because it's so completely unique and the length of the mazes pays off they're so long because even the first maze we went to it was like oh like every corner after like a certain spot i was like oh cool this is the end but this was a really good maze i was like oh it keeps going yeah and it was like that in every maze and I mean, I was going to make a joke about length, but I know I can't, but <laughs> like, it's, it's just so good because of how long they are. Yeah. It just really adds to the value of this ticket price. Yeah, absolutely. It does. Yeah. And there's uh, so many cool places to eat. They, they, they have all of these like open barbecue grill places for food. Uh, there's a couple of private bars that if you like upgrade your ticket, you're like, this is, they are making this a festive haunt night experience. And I think they're doing it really, really well. Mm -hmm. 
And and if you want to take the time, I, I like there was so much good food. We concentrated on haunting while we were there. We concentrated on going through the mazes. Oh, I also want to point out something I pointed out. Yeah. Um, that there were deep fried Snickers, but there were no deep fried Kit Kats. So take that how you will. Okay. All right. So hopefully next year they will rectify that situation. Deep fried Kit Kat? No, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> And by the way, did you, uh, we were sitting, uh, at one point, there's a marionette show that we attended. Um, freak show marionette. Yeah, yes. Freak sh- freak show marionettes, which, which was quite Rasputin's marionettes, actually. But right before that show began, the there was a person who sat down sort of to your left. Did you see the funnel cake? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I almost immediately left and was like, I have to have one of those. But okay, enough about the food, man. The, uh, like... Did you see the funnel cake, dude? Anyways, there <laughs> were six mazes, uh, same as last year. There was Feast uh, B340, which is named after the, the most haunted room, which is now open to stay overnight and die in. Um, Lullaby, Dead Rise, Circus, and Intrepid. Really quick, before we start talking about this, I want to mention something about Dead Rise. And that is something I didn't think was possible, but they allowed it. Because there is a part where you can split off and you see a rope ladder on the left. Mm -hmm. And usually in something like this, there's no way like you're allowed to climb it or anything like that. And we did. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's like a little thing, but it it beats the monotony of just walking through switchbacks and walking through a maze. It's like, oh my God, I actually get to climb this? Like, yeah. (laughs) And then there's a slide at the end or a fireman's pole that you can take down. And the fact that they have, I mean, I'm calling it audience participation in quotes because it's not really, but it's like, that's the most thing I can, I can relate it to. But the fact that they have that, like, it's so cool. And like, if that's a test, maybe for something bigger and more next year, like, please. Oh yeah, bring absolutely. It. it was awesome. Um, they have done that. I'm drawing a blank on what maze it was last year, but they, they didn't quite do that. But what they did was they had alternate paths. And in Dead Rise this year, when you get to that section, there starts to become, they're, they're not really that lengthy, but there are places where you, if you're a member of a group, you can split. Where you can, oh, like, oh, I can either go right or left. And they usually end up in the same place. But you you lose sight of who you're with or characters can be hiding around the corner and you don't know which way they will scare. So I really liked that about Dead Rise. And then the last like third of Dead Rise, that kept happening over and over again. At one point, I was crawling under something while you guys were walking around a pole to the left. I don't know if you realize there was a crawl area and I popped up behind you. And uh, it just, yeah, it was just like, I love the fact that they do that in their mazes. And they had one last year. I don't remember which one, but they also did that at the beginning of the maze where you kind of like you could go upstairs or you could go downstairs, or I, I believe. And so, yeah, I love the fact. And you're right. It's like when I first saw that the, the rope ladder that you're talking about, I thought it was a barrier to keep people from going down the hallway. Yeah, because that's what they usually would be. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you completely. That That was a very cool thing. I really enjoyed it. And just a, a, a sad note, um, we went to B340 and didn't see 
our Samuel the Savage. No. Hashtag not my Samuel. <laughs> Even though his picture was up. Yeah. Brad, we love you. As far as the mazes go, Mike, uh, I I think the first one we did was absolutely one of the coolest production design-wise, and that was Intrepid. Oh, definitely, because it's a train. Yeah, and it was just, you, you actually enter the, <laughs> you know, you actually get on a, on a train to start the maze, uh, and it was very, very cool. And the, I think when we first got there, they were still kind of finding their way a little bit with the scares. I don't think the scares were quite there, but there were so many scenes in that particular maze where you walked in and yeah, the, uh, the use of dummies and mannequins and, and, you know, propped up, you know, fake characters and all that mixed in with real live actors. Like there was so many times in that maze when that happened and I thought was very effective and just some beautiful scenes there were some Gates of Hell flashbacks. I did have one Gates of Hell flashback <laughs> in particular. But sorry to interrupt you right then, but you just mentioned beautiful scenes. That one scene when you walk out, you're in the outdoors technically. Yep. Oh my God. And I was so convinced. I it was like, I'm really nervous right now. I just walked down and I was like, oh crap, something is going to go down. <laughs> and what they did is like, they let you get through that beautiful, beautiful moment, and then they subtly creep you out in the sequence following that, which I thought was a really intelligent way of approaching it. But uh, yeah, I just thought that was one of my favorites production design-wise. It it's, it was very kind of industrial mixed with, uh, yeah, it's, it's very cool visuals. Uh, and did you notice, and I thought this was an interesting technique, Inside Intrepid, did you notice how many times you entered the room and there were characters or, you know, like I said, they used mannequins and dummies and stuff. How many times those characters were facing away from you and you couldn't see their faces? Mm -hmm. So you didn't know who was going to turn. You didn't know what was going to turn around and or scare who you. was real. And yes, it was like it was so effective. And they used it multiple times in that maze. And it was so cool. It was so good. Uh, I really, really enjoyed that. That was one of my favorite mazes personally. One of the, the things I wanted to mention is about Feast and, and how the direction they're taking it is, is interesting to me because Feast is about an angry chef um, and he's poisoned travelers on, on, the, on the Queen Mary. And when you think of Feast and you think of basically humans being poisoned, the first thing that comes to mind is cannibalism. Mm -hmm. But there was really no cannibals. It was all just, it was all like angry chefs. And I thought that was an interesting choice mm -hmm. because what, because the thing is, what's more scarier? Because granted, cannibals technically are real, mm -hmm. but chefs are more, crazy chefs are more real, I think. Relatable. To some degree. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're relatable to an angry chef. Uh Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, and also there were times when they treated the patron as if the patron was sort of doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. like, like, why aren't you helping yeah, me? Yeah, they're at work. Yeah. Like, you know, why aren't you helping me? Like, we have this problem. Help me. So uh, that was kind of directed to the patron, which was interesting as well. Uh, and again, that there was uh, th that there was a lot of gore stuff going on in that one. Really fun. One of my favorite scenes in all through between all of the mazes was in Lullaby. And it's that ending scene when it's a long hallway and you just see something. Yep. <laughs> and it's like, 
Oh my god. Yeah. And Lullaby is always fun for me just because creepy little girls oh, are yeah. just they're just great. That sounds wrong. I don't mean it the way it sounds. <laughs> that sounded very wrong. Yeah. But no, like creepy zombie dead girls yeah. are, they just add so much because, you know, they ha- talk in a cute, high pitched voice, but they're dead and they want to kill you. And yeah. we, you should technically still be there because we left you behind <laughs> yes, at you one did. point. <laughs> because I think she wanted to keep you as her teddy bear. Yes. So, because I have that effect on women. Russell Eaton, ladies, single and <laughs> ready to be a teddy bear. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I, I think probably I got jump scared more in Lullaby than any other maze. Yes. Oh, by the way, <laughs> we have our first sighting or auditory really? audio of Russell's haunt noises this season. Yes, they definitely got they came me. out la- a-, a bunch last night. So yes, and during Lullaby, I yeah, I was gotten several times uh, really good jump scares in Lullaby, and uh, I, I I love there's something to me I love about children's toys with a creepy edge, and that's a reoccurring thing because the teddy bear might be haunted, the teddy bear might be telling her to do things, you know, like they're, they're like you you touch on that throughout this maze. There is one scene that has a portrait of her teddy bear that oh, creeped me out. The so actual much. painting, the what? The actual painting. Oh, the actual painting. Yeah, is like it, it. It's like it's painted with love, but it's a demonic teddy bear. And I the the you know set design props like in Lullaby I thought were amazing, and again so incredibly long. And another thing that I liked about Lullaby, um, wait, Lullaby, was that last year where they were doing the water effects? Was that Lullaby? Uh, I don't think it I, was. I think it was Lullaby. Yeah, it would make sense because... Because it was so, the little girl. Yeah, because the yeah. little girl and the little girl haunts the pool actually on the ship in mm-hmm. real life. So um, so I, I, I went in thinking, oh, I think this is the maze with water effects. And they don't do it this yeah, year. Yeah, they changed it. And what they do in place where they create um, and it's an effect we've seen uh, Fright Dome used it last year, but I don't think Fright Dome used it quite as effectively as this. When you're swimming, basically. It you makes feel it like look it. like you're wading through water at waist level. And it, it is completely done with lighting and fog. It is uh, it is like you, you, you look at it and go like, I know exactly what this is. Mm-hmm. But the way the characters are interacting with it. So much fun, and that's so one, effective. Yeah, yeah, so effective, incredibly used by the credit by the characters in that. Just the the they interact and play with the lighting effects in a way that makes it look like they're coming out of nowhere. And the, uh, one of them literally popped up right beside me, and I had I did not see her coming, and it was terrifying. It was so good. Yeah, I heard you. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone heard me. <laughs> uh, so effective. That was really, really good. Sorry, going back to what scared Russell a lot. Uh, going back to Dead Rise. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't do this justice. So please tell the story. It was perfection in haunt scaring. Uh, I don't know who this actor is. He was amazing. There was a... And, and you said, oh, <laughs> wait, I can't. 
because this would be spoilerific if we tell exactly where it is in the maze. Oh, yeah. We reached an impasse and we couldn't figure out how to move forward. So we were kind of walking in circles. And I, it, to me, it was very obvious. Like they, they had a piece of netting hanging. And I thought, well, obviously, we're supposed to move the netting and go behind the netting. So I stepped up. And I said, well, guys, come on, it's this way. And literally, I moved the netting and took a step forward. And out of complete darkness, an actor emerged and basically said, no, you're going the wrong way. (laughs) Completely terrifying me and entertaining the hell out of the people who were behind us (laughs) who also got to get me see see me get that scared. But uh, the actor timed it perfectly because he waited on us to try that exit. Mm-hmm. And then he just appeared out of nowhere, right in my face. Yeah, that was probably the biggest of the night. That Yeah, oh, hands down for me, that was the best scare of the night. You know, and that and the one I just mentioned, Lullaby, was pretty damn awesome. So, yeah, I, I yeah, it's haunt season. <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> uh, and then uh, talking about Circus, this is one that was also there last year, but completely changed. Uh, they had some of the same elements, but... Uh, there are two paths you can go. Mm-hmm. You can at one point you can go left or right, and I was able to do both. Did you do both? I did both. Okay. Yes. So when I went to the left the second time, for some reason I ended up being alone. Oh, cool! Walking through, and the characters inside were commenting on that, and it was it added so much to it. Like there's one part where uh, with a rope. And that character was, it was just, you know, complete improv. He's like, are you alone? And I was like, yeah, I don't know where my friends are, you know, just kind of playing into it. And he's like, oh, you want to see what happens to people when they're alone and they get caught? And I was like, yes. (laughs) He's like, go in there and look up. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So like things like that. And then there was one part that it wouldn't have been as creepy if there were other people around, but you walk into one room. And it's a ball pit. And I will just say that being alone in that room and being stared at was one of the most unnerving things I had experienced last night. Uh, I had a very similar experience because I I was alone when I entered that room, but people followed me fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. And what I did with the character who was staring at me is I, she was she was in a very specific physical place in the room. I sort of mimicked her position and she literally didn't change a thing. She stayed where she was. We stared each other down and I completely lost that contest. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that was really unnerving. And at that point, other people were coming in. So I kind of quickly moved because I didn't want to, like sort of I, I wanted her to be able to surprise them. So I kind of quickly moved out of the way and, and got out of that room. But yeah, that was really unnerving and well played. And a couple of other things about Circus. Circus was my favorite maze last year. And they're stressing how they're, they've made some changes. And I think this is one of the mazes where they made some changes. And you got different glimpses of Circus life. Like at one point I felt like I was kind of backstage Mm -hmm. with the performers and a couple of times there was like a performer with a stage who didn't know 
what his act was, if that makes sense, near the very end of the maze. And so I I really like the fact that this is they've really experimenting, but they're keeping this theme because I really like the theme. But there this was uh this was a more intimate scary maze this year than I think it was last year. I think it was more I felt more claustrophobic. Yeah. Overall, which I, I like that tone. I thought it was a really nice change. So yeah, and um yeah, we we haven't talked about hidden surprises, but in a couple of the mazes there were hidden rooms and this is one of the room this is one of the mazes where I suddenly got pulled into one of the hidden rooms. Uh and this is part of the whole party festive atmosphere thing. Uh there are hidden bars actually in a few of the mazes and if you find the right character at the right moment, uh you can get pulled into the secret bar. And it just so happened I was standing right next to the character and uh, a couple people came up and I think he he thought we would be a fun group. So he literally just like opened this panel and we walked in and was like, oh, wait, this is a different room. Wait, (laughs) it was like, hey, come on over, have a drink. And and that happened. uh, We found a secret bar in another uh, maze as well or another area of the park. Uh, that was an interesting twist too, that you could find hidden things within the mazes if you were paying attention. So, but here's the thing, Mike, I, I am enjoying the maze, so I don't think to look for stuff right in the maze. <laughs> so, you know, it's like we got, I got so lucky. You, you went into escape room mode, Russell's escape room mode. Uh, wow. <laughs> wow. Cheap shot. Cheap shot. <laughs> Unlike what you had in the bar. So, uh, yes. (laughs) Which was a cheap shot. No, it was not a cheap shot. Uh, No, it was not. See? (laughs) Are you following? Never mind. Okay, I got it. I got it. Sorry, I missed that. So, much like I miss things in escape rooms. All right. Um, So, yeah, that was also an interesting thing. In a couple of the mazes, you could find hidden rooms, which was really, really cool. Uh, So, that happened. uh, You know, hung out, had a quick drink with someone and then and then left now in the middle of all this there's a couple of other experiences what else did we do uh there was the 4d theater which showed panic um which is the same movie as last year uh but it's still just fun and it was like five bucks completely goofy fun yeah and that i heard probably the most screams out of even the mazes yeah the crowd that we were with screamed yeah. a lot during that movie because there are certain things that may or may not happen yeah, it's that... a 3d film and they do 4d things... 4... 4d so 3d plus an extra dimension um yeah so yeah there were definitely a lot of screams there's a lot of good 3d scares in that short film mm-hmm. and then there were the the scary swings and they're scary because they came from neverland ranch okay <laughs> And then there was a big stage that had performers throughout the night. Um, Yeah, we saw fire breathers. We saw um, aerial acts. Mm -hmm. uh, We saw Micah the Magician, Mm -hmm. who is someone that we've talked about on the show, um, who's also done some theater stuff as well. And uh, he was performing. And there were some sideshow elements. At one point, uh, as we were walking near the entrance, there was someone doing the blockhead freak show routines. Uh, so this is this has become, as I I think I said near the beginning, they're, they're emphasizing sort of the whole party carnival vibe, and add to that right near the swings that you just mentioned, Mike. There were little cabanas that, for an upgraded ticket, you could have a place like Party Central where you could 
regroup your group or you could sit down for a few minutes and chat and you're a little bit away from the noise there or you can grab food and bring it back to one of those and those have to be reserved and if you check out the queen mary website you'll find the different pricing tiers and things like that but if you're going to make this a group event for you and a bunch of friends that might be a very smart way of doing it. So you have like a central area where you can like, oh, well, meet us back at this reserved area that we have. I think that'd be a smart way of doing it if you were trying to wrangle a large group of people. Um, so I, I find it interesting that Queen Mary is experimenting with that sort of flow, which I don't think any of the other theme parks, any of the other haunts are quite experimenting with that vibe and that sort of customer service of here, Make it an evening, sit down, relax for part of your night, have a drink, get some food, sit down and be comfortable. Because almost every place else, you're just rushing from line to line to line. And they're actually trying to make this a more enjoyable event. Yes, you are charged an upgraded experience. Yes, you have to pay for those areas. But if you have a group, a large group of people, you'd be able to split that cost among them. So it wouldn't be that much of an expense an additional expense in addition to your ticket. And also, I don't know if you noticed, Mike, but if you go to their ticket, uh, their ticket area on their website, they have upgraded haunt experiences. And we actually saw one of these happening, I believe, where you can do VIP tours through the haunts with one of the characters. You can also, you could meet one of the characters for drinks and he would tell you about his past. They're offering things like that. So they're trying to play with the immersive experience. And, you know, it's like, I I think it's going to be interesting to see what Queen Mary develops over the next few years. Because if they continue going in that area, I I think it's going to be fascinating to see what else they come up with to offer. I agree. And the fact that they are trying to push this to the next level, it it just gives me so much excitement for what's to come because queen mary is something that we enjoy every year and this isn't a negative thing but it's pretty much the same thing every year so if they're doing things to make to expand on that like i'm all for it yeah and and you say that it's it's you know they have the same recurring characters the ringmaster is a great character the captain is a fascinating character iron will is a fascinating character uh samuel the savage is an interesting character i don't know if I'd want to have drinks with him, but you know, they have a chef character. Like, like, so all of these characters are present and they're, they're sort of iconic and they have the posters up as you enter the, the, the haunt area. So, so yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to be interesting because they, they're building, they're almost building a franchise to some degree. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. And, and the fact that you now can, you know, for an additional what hundred dollars or something you can get a more private personalized experience from one of those characters that's really cool and very interesting yeah and you know speaking about price the tickets are usually on places like gold star and groupon and things like that so there's usually will be sales going on in fact the queen mary website itself had sales for opening weekend so keep checking that for for some discounts and that can help offset some of the price if you choose to upgrade yeah absolutely and for more information on queen mary's dark harbor you can find them on the web at queenmary.com slash events slash dark dash harbor on facebook queen mary's dark harbor on Instagram, QM Dark Harbor, and also on Twitter, QM Dark Harbor. So that wraps up this one. 
as far as what we've done. We finally did our first haunt, it's which just is exciting. The beginning. I know. And actually, speaking of it's just the beginning, there's a couple of remounts that we want to mention. On the last podcast, we talked about bedroom play. What? <laughs> right? Bedroom play. Yeah. Bedroom play, which we both really, really like. No, you have to say it in the tone of voice that I did. Never. Bedroom Stop. play. Stop. That's disgusting, dude. <laughs> Stop that right now. Ugh. Anyways, uh, that is being remounted. And we have a link up in the show notes. Um, but if you want to search for tickets, it's on Eventbrite. And seriously, uh, if you didn't hear that review, please go back and listen to it. it there, This was something that both Russell and I really, really enjoyed and needed um, when we think you will like it too. It's a very touching, emotional experience. Mm-hmm. And then at this past year's Fringe, we went to a show called Dr. Zamba's Ghost Show of Terror. And we both really liked it because it was a playback to the old ghost shows uh, from, what, the 40s, 50s? Yeah, they ran, I think, from uh, late 40s into early 60s, actually. So that is returning, uh, which so is much goofy super fun. exciting. So much goofy fun. So that's returning in October as well. And you can find those tickets on Eventbrite as well. And we'll have a link in the show notes. Now, Mike, uh, earlier this year at Midsummer Scream, you and I had the honor of co-hosting a panel. Yes. And one of those people on the panel, uh, Ricky Briganti, who is from Florida and with a company called Pseudonym Productions, is launching something that sounds really experimental. And I think some of the immersive community here in Los Angeles, I think anyone who listens to the podcast might be interested because it is an experience that is being called a digital experience. And you can participate no matter where you live. Neat. They are going to do a few live events uh, in a couple of major cities in the U.S. However, the main experience is going to be online. So what this is, is this is apparently uh, involves commentary on social media and the effect that it has in our lives and it is being billed as a horrifying satirical totally narcissistic thriller starring you it is a six weeks digital experience and potentially thousands of players but one main mystery it is called no filter a digital experience uh so have no idea what to expect from this but basically you sign up and you interact online with, I guess, characters, and you are kind of unraveling a mystery. And there are different tiers of participation. So it becomes either something that you can spend a lot of time doing or the lowest tier, which I think I think the, the lowest tier is like $14 for a six-week experience online. So there will be some interactivity. Uh, if you go to the website, which we will give... And you can read more about it. And if something like this interests you, this sounds completely unique. This sounds very intense. This sounds very ornate and thought through. And I love the fact that they're talking about it being slightly mysterious. Go to the website and read the FAQs uh, and read more about this. And you'll be able to tell if you're interested in it. But I think people who like ARGs, people who like immersive experiences, plus... If someone, and and even as I was reading through the FAQs, it makes kind of poking fun at like, well, look, you're in front of your digital phone, you're in front of your computer, you're in front of your digital screen anyway, all the time. Are we right? 
well, why don't you actually have fun with that experience? So they're, 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 I think they're trying to make comments on how we interact with digital technology. Uh, that's my guess. But if you go and you read more about this, it sounds really intriguing. And I think it's something that people who listen to the podcast might be interested in checking out. And again, that was uh, Ricky Briganti, who was on the panel about immersive experiences that we we talked to uh, him during that panel at Midsummer Scream earlier this year. Uh, it's Pseudonym Productions, and you can look up pseudonymproductions.com and then add a slash no filter to the end of that, and you'll get uh, to the specific page for this, and you can scroll down and read the FAQs. But this sounds like something really intriguing to me, and I think some of our listeners might be interested in that. And it starts in early October, I think like October 2nd. So if you're hearing this, get on it really, really fast, because it's beginning probably right as this podcast is released. Cool. Also, I should mention on Facebook, uh, you can go to question reality, all one word, and you will also find more information on hashtag no filter, a digital experience. So that's everything. That's everything, dude. For now. So uh, we got a full plate the next month. Oh, the next couple of weeks are going to be insane. So and we will do our best to uh, tell you about them and tell you about the adventures. And please let us know if you're finding stuff this haunt season that you're enjoying and that you think is unique and cool, please let us hear from you. And the calendar is updated with all the stuff I could find. So if you want to plan your days out, um, the haunt calendar is good. And you can find that at myhauntlife.com slash calendar. Um, you can find us on all the social medias at My Haunt Life. You can email us at mike at myhauntlife.com or russell at myhauntlife.com with two S's and two L's. Or leave a text or voicemail on the haunt line, 515-HAUNT-LA. Until next time... I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. See ya. Get out. Mm. We're done for now. Mm. On Facebook and on Instagram, uh, you can find them uh, on... Wait, I did that completely. You have eight million ums in there.